Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, we've been saving this for the end of the week because you knuckleheads have a ton of mailbag questions. We're happy to answer. Uh, hope you're preparing for another great weekend. So, as you know, all questions answered 100% correctly guaranteed. Let's get started, Steve Versnick. All right, we'll start on a lighter side here. And Carl had uh, sent us a direct message. This is not a question, but I just saw the Elvis movie. I was 11 when he died. Would have loved to have seen him do a Super Bowl halftime or national anthem. He's as big as Whitney, Ray Charles, or any others. Michael Jackson was a great halftime. Elvis would have been right there in his prime. Died at 42. Shame. Discuss. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I I would have loved to have seen, and, and in fact, if they could bring him back somehow, uh, maybe through the magic of, what, what do they call those, this sort of like 3D image things? You know, uh, hologram or whatever. Holog- yeah, we need like a whole, that's here you go, a hologram Elvis halftime show at a Super Bowl in Las Vegas, right? Would that not be perfect? And then you have like a bunch of like uh, mini Elvises on the field or something like that. River Las Vegas. You know, and you do the whole the whole routine that uh, from that, from that uh, Ann Margaret, you know, number. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be perfect. I I actually went, you know, I, I when I uh, was in college at Arkansas State, because you know I love to talk about those days. Um, our our uh, our respite as a college kid was Memphis, Tennessee, which was the closest real big city mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of what was a bunch of soybeans uh, where I was in Jonesboro, and it was only sixty miles uh, to the east. So we'd cross the Mississippi River, and there you were. You spent some time in Memphis, right? Is I that where your wife yeah. is from? Yeah, no, I lived there yeah. for a couple of years. Yeah, so uh, great city, and especially for a college kid because you know Beale Street, right? You go down there, mm-hmm. and um, all the bars and restaurants, and it's a, it's actually, and I think it's underrated this way as a college town. Like you don't think much about Memphis. I did because we played. I mean, at that time was Memphis State, um, but. Uh, you have fans from Mississippi, Tennessee, Arkansas. Like it's kind of like a gathering point, right? Like mm-hmm. it's kind of a unique place where everybody. And then of course Memphis, everybody's kind of rooting for a different team. So it's kind of cool on a college Saturday uh, afternoon. And then of course you know all the Red Wolf fans at the time. You know the Indians. They were they were they were legendary in, in that city. But um, so we'd have a lot of fun. But while I was there. Um, I had to make a trek out to Graceland, right? Mm-hmm. You pro- have you been there? Have Absolutely. you been past? Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> I'm a geek about stuff like that. It was kind of bizarre because there's like, don't they have them? Um, aren't there tombstones in the yard or something? Mm-hmm. They're buried there. Yeah, I'm not a. I mean, Elvis died. When I was really young, so I never. Oh, of course. Well, I was that, still. But... Believe it or not, I was still young too. Yeah. But yes. But uh, Graceland was so much better than I was expecting. Like I had. Yeah. Uh, I think my mom came in and she wanted to go to Grayson's. Okay, yeah, we'll go. You know, it was, you know yeah. I was fairly new in town at that no, point. No, it's well done. It's it, well done. It was. It blew me away. It blew uh-huh. me away how cool it was. Yeah, and, and you yeah, know, you not go. being a huge fan. Although I, I learned early 
So uh, I'm running the radio station in Memphis, and uh, the week that he died, it's in, I believe, August. Mm-hmm. And this January? would have been about, what, 74 or something like that? I don't know when he died. Uh, 77, I think he died. 77, okay. Yeah. So, but the week he died, it's known as Dead Elvis Week there. Oh, really? And, and, so it's like a week of mourning in Well, Memphis? yeah. I mean, and, and you'll, there's news stories and everything else. And so yeah. our radio station had a, a comedian that did some parody bits. His name's Paul Shanklin. And yeah, I know Paul. Yeah. I've heard of him. And he was, from, yeah, he did a lot of parody bits for Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, but he was from Memphis, so he would do some stuff for us. And he did a, a Dead Elvis parody song. And it was, you know, it was just tongue in cheek stuff. And we played, and I've, I don't know if I've ever gotten more complaints on a bit we've done on the air. <laughs> like, people were and you picked. Don't, you don't make fun of Elvis, and, and, man. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, it was just having fun with it. It wasn't, you know. It wasn't we, terrible we taste. Elvis. Yeah, we love <laughs> yeah. it. It wasn't, it wasn't mean spirited or anything, but the amount of, and I was like, holy cow, I didn't realize this. You know I mean? Because, you know, when you're not from there. You yeah. don't real you don't you have to learn the reverence that he's held in. Yeah, yeah. the hot buttons and this that I mean, you know he's big because of Graceland and and, right. and all that, but it was it was one of those we played it and the amount of complaints we started getting was like, Whoa. I was like <laughs> He had a nerve. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you learn that's, real quick, okay, well that's you know, you gotta think twice about some of that stuff and make sure it's done in the right taste and That's what I love about radio. Like you can be out there and you're like, you know, hitting mm-hmm. the mic like anybody listening and then all of a sudden you say something inappropriate and it lights up like a freaking christmas tree it's like wait a minute i didn't know this many people were even listening you know um but yeah don't say anything bad about elvis in memphis i've i've certainly uh and and i was you know he was much before my day even but um obviously the music has has endured and i have older sisters and everybody and, and a mom that remembers him but iconic like is you know if you write iconic in the music industry, Elvis's Elvis's pictures right on the top because he was unique. So yeah, at a Super Bowl halftime, unimaginable, unimaginable if if he were up there. And I would say, and we've I think we've ranked these before, at least the ones that I've been to, and I've been to like thirty of them or whatever. Um, for me, Michael Jackson was number one only because he was as hot as any uh entertainer at that time it was it was right after i think the uh motown 25 the thriller album i want I may not have come out yet um billy jean you know all of that um and he was at the rose bowl in los angeles and i was about five feet away from him at the press conference looked like he was made of wax i mean it was just you know he wore the white glove or the one glove and the whole you know the sequence and all of that could not have been hotter, and his show was phenomenal. Had a little magic to it. Um, did all his his best numbers, whatever. It was L.A., so it had that Hollywood flair. So that was really cool. Um, followed closely by Prince, which, from a performance standpoint, I always say this: best halftime press conference ever. Uh, because there was there was you know, everybody was like, well, what is you know? You rarely see Prince go deep or philosophical in an interview. In fact, I don't remember him even being interviewed. Like, does he say anything? Does he talk? Does he? And so he comes out. And we talked about this before. We're in Miami, and he comes out in the in. They always have a uh, you know a, a pregame show and halftime show press conference, and uh, he walks out and he says, uh, you know, a lot of people were saying I wasn't going to talk today in my press conference. With a right. And he takes a step back. The curtain goes up. 
Dun, 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 dun. He starts, he plays three numbers for the media. This isn't even a halftime show. Like, it was insane. You know, you got, you got, you know, 60 year old writers, you know, rocking back and forth. Like, it was, it was tremendous. And then, of course, the show itself, as if God ordered it, uh, one of the biggest down, the game was played. It was the Colts and the, and the Bears, of course, the Tony Dungy's uh, Super Bowl win with the Colts. And it was played in a downpour. And halftime could not have rained harder particularly when he went to Purple Rain. And it, it was as if, like, this is the greatest effect ever. And, in fact, when you go back and they've done the making of that halftime, um, they talk all about how they were terrified that someone was going to get electrocuted. Like, there was so much voltage up on that stage with all the pyrotechnics and, the you know, the, the, the different things. And he sat there and, and played the, 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 you know, just the strings off the guitar and that thing. And it was, it was just, it was surreal. It was like the heavens, you know, provided the greatest backdrop ever for, for his performance. So that, that one was outstanding. And then, uh, you know, as far as national anthem, I mean, Whitney Houston, goosebump moments to this day, if you play that for me, Super Bowl 25 in Tampa, the first, uh, second one that I went to in Tampa, um, never been any better. And there's been a lot of good ones, but never any better than Whitney Houston that for all that it meant, you know, golf war, all that stuff. Well, speaking of electric and electric guitars, how about electric in general? You want to save some money on your electric bill? You've seen it go up and up, right? It's getting hotter. Uh, Well, we can do that for you. Call our friends at May Electric Solar. It's a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems for 12 years. Now, this is a field that has a lot of fly-by-night companies, so you got to be careful. That's why May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee workmanship with a 30-year labor and service warranty, plus... With every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That's the main difference right there. If you visit their Hutchins showroom, May Electric displays all of their products. They conduct on-site testing so you can see exactly what they'll install. And this is important. They don't use subcontractors, so you know exactly who's doing the job when they come to your home. So start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. To schedule a free estimate, you can lower your electric bill all year long, preserve your quality of life, and preserve your appliances as well. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, as promised, we'll continue with our mailbag questions, and let's get going. Well, we'll start with the Bucks today, and Kevin had tweeted, What is the outlook for the new offensive line? Losing an all-pro guard and a very good guard is a big concern. You know, it's always a concern, right? Especially when you're trying to protect uh, a a Tom Brady. I mean, I think, you know, all the success that that you're going to have begins up front. And football has not really changed that much. I mean, whether you're talking about youth leagues or, you know, uh, high schools or whatever, uh, the game is really played and won in the trenches. I think, you know, it was um, Brad Johnson who told me a long time ago, he goes, Rick, he goes, most people watch the ball and they miss the game. Because if you're watching the ball, you're not you're missing the game. The game happens in front of us. You know, it's what's going on in the in the in the trenches. And I think the Bucks are fortunate in that they, they got two pretty good well, three pretty good anchors. And and that is uh uh obviously Donovan Smith, who uh, I, I think has been as good a left tackle from a consistency standpoint as the Bucks have ever had, uh, next to Paul Gruber perhaps. Um, and, and that's such an important position in the quarterback's blind side. You've got Tristan Wirfs, who, for my money, if he stays healthy, is going to put on a gold jacket one day. 
made the Pro Bowl finally last year. And then Ryan Jensen, the center, who, you know, I think Brady, uh, obviously his timing of coming back or announcing his end of his retirement after 40 days was not unintentional because he needed Ryan Jensen, who was going to become a free agent, and that was one of the first guys that they re-signed. And so, you know, those three are, are really sort of, you know, the the foundation of that offensive line. After that, I thought they made a terrific deal in getting Shaq Mason because Shaq is a guy that played in New England uh, and played with Tom Brady. Uh, he, he's a really good run blocker, uh, pretty good in pass protection. The only knock against him was his height, but he's proven that uh, he can, you know, he can really play. Uh, and, and he's somebody with experience. So you're not putting somebody out there that's, you know, first time uh, through the NFL. And then, you know, the left guard spot's going to be where the competition is. And I think competition makes everybody better. And Aaron Stinney, if you remember just two years ago, they had the injury to Alex Kappa uh, in the playoffs. And all Stinney did out of James Madison was come in there and play at a high, high level and win three playoff games, including the Super Bowl against Kansas City. So he held up and and then some. And I think he's ready uh, to compete. And it's going to be a competition because they drafted uh, Luke Gedeke, who is a, a Ryan Jensen-like temperament uh, guy that, um, as he said, he's kind of a glass eater, if you will. And then Nick Leverett uh, played some some important minutes for them uh, in the Colts game a year ago when they had an injury. And so he's he's also been in the mix. So, you know, it's rare to have much depth at the offensive line. I think the Rays – or the Rays. I think the Bucks too. Uh, and the Rays might too. The Bucks do, especially on the interior uh, positions. But having Jensen, Donovan Smith, and Wirfs, that's really where it starts. All right, Tommy tweeted us. He says, who do you see being the number two running back behind Leonard Fournette for the Bucks week one at Dallas? Well, week one at Dallas might, you know, might be different than, say, weeks three through, you know, 17 or 18 because um, there still is a transition period, I think, when you're, when you're a young player. So I I could see it depends you know it's situational right I mean the thing about Leonard Fournette is he became that three down back now the last time we saw Leonard Fournette he was about a donut shy of two sixty let's see what he's done in the you know the five weeks since then um, he certainly didn't look like a guy that could play every down uh, when we saw him but he did that last year and it's hard to take him off the field because there's a good amount of trust between him and Brady even on third down in terms of blitz pickup. Uh, in terms of of getting the ball in the flat, that sort of thing. So, I mean, we're going to recognize that Fournette may not come out of the lineup very much. When he does, um, if it's third down, if Giovanni Bernard uh, returns to what he was, you know, this time a year ago, uh, he may be their third down back just because of his his experience catching the ball and playing that role in the NFL – uh, but they really like the improvement of, of Keyshawn Vaughn. So those two are going to go at it uh, for maybe that, that if, if they do take Leonard Fournette off the field on third down or if they need to spell him. So there's a battle there. However, uh, would it surprise me? Could this happen by week one? Yes, it could. It will definitely, to me, happen sometime in September, uh, if not sooner. I think Rashad White uh, might be one of the bigger difference makers of this rookie class. I don't think it's even close. Um, you know, he, he's a, a, a taller, uh, kind of more slender running back, kind of in the Marcus Allen physical build, if you will, played for 
Herm Edwards there in the state who absolutely loves him, and and I would trust Herm to know a football player um, who you know with all his NFL experiences, you know both with the Bucks as a as a defensive backs coach, head coach of the Jets and the Chiefs. Um, White, you know, took a tough road through junior college and eventually became a thousand yard uh, rusher for the Sun Devils. But more than that, he's a natural pass catcher and route runner. He's very fluid when you watch him move. Um, and unlike, you know, Fournette, who you can put out in the flat and he can turn around and catch the ball, or you can run him in the screen game. Um, White's a guy that you can split out much like they did in New England with all those running backs, right, that Brady played with. And he can he can run an option route and, and win against most linebackers. And, when, and he has kind of a big catching radius. He almost looks like a receiver when you put him out there uh, and is just a natural um, – natural pass catcher. His hands are, are, are great. You barely hear the ball when they hit him. So I think that there's a learning curve, as there always is for these guys, especially the running back position. It always comes down to this because they're not asked to do it in college. Do you know who to block if it's third down and we have you in the game when we don't split you out? If, if, if you're in blitz pickup, because that's when you see most of the blitzes is on third down, are you are you a an assignment ready, um, technique solid uh, pass protector? Because if you can't protect the goat, you're not going to get on the field. And they can still put them in situations like they can just say, okay, we're just going in on third down. We're going five receivers eligible here. We're going to empty the backfield. We'll just motion them out and you know put him in the slot, and he's an extra receiver. You can do things to get him in the game. But I think for him to to really emerge as that. Number two back, uh, he he's got to you know he's got to develop. He's got to show coaches that he's assignment ready and uh, and technique ready to play. But I'm just just watching him out there move in OTAs and from what I've talked to Herm about, I think Brady's going to fall in love with this guy because we know how much Brady's been looking for that running back um, that he had, you know, uh, like James White and those guys in New England. So uh, this could be a difference maker for the Bucks. It really could because teams. You know, they, they're they going to double Mike Evans. They're going to play a lot of two-deep safeties, and that forces the Bucks to run it. And then, you know, when they want to bring, you know, an extra guy in the box, um, you know, if you can split White out there and get, you know, get some, some matchups against linebackers and safeties, he's going to win. And we know Brady's going to deliver the ball, you know, in the right spot. So it just depends on how fast he's able to pick up the offense. But I think in, in short order, uh, maybe within the first month, maybe sooner. I don't know. I think White's going to be a guy that's not only going to, you know, back up Leonard Fournette, but I think I think you could see more of a of an equal split at times, um, like we saw two years ago uh, with Ronald Jones when Jones was going off and had nearly a thousand yard season in Fournette. You know, Fournette kind of caught fire there at the end when Jones got COVID and then got hurt in the postseason. Um, but, but you know, it takes more than one running back because I thought Fournette wore down last year. And, and quite frankly, I'm waiting to see what kind of attitude he plays with this year. You know, he's gotten paid. Uh, coaches were not happy, and that's an understatement, uh, when he didn't participate in the OTAs, but then he shows up at the mandatory minicamp weighing damn near 260. Uh, and that's not a good sign for a guy that you've just, you know, spent a three-year contract on. So, um there's some intrigue about the running back position, but I would say that I'm, I'm big on white. We'll see what happens. All right, Nenge has uh, tweeted us. He said, if something were to happen to Tom Brady in training camp, 
and he ended up missing the rest of the season with an injury. Would they really go into week one against the Cowboys with Blaine Gabbert as QB1? Yeah, they would. And and, and they would be doing probably a disservice if they didn't, um, simply because, let's be honest, we've not really seen anything of Kyle Trask. And I don't mean just in the regular season. Hell, we've barely seen him in much preseason games. I mean, they only had three last year. Um, you know, if if they had not, if Tom Brady had not come back, I think Blaine was going to be the starter. Um, but it would have at least been a battle. I mean, like Kyle would have gotten an opportunity to compete. He's not even going to get that, those reps. I know, you know, Clyde Christian came out and he, and he sort of was honest, which you rarely get from assistant coaches. Uh, and he said, there's not really a competition. Blaine's the backup. I don't see... I don't see how Kyle gets put in a position where he would be anything else but number three. And then, you know, Todd Bowles kind of walked that back and said, well, there's always competition. Okay. There's just, I mean, you just don't want to put young quarterbacks in bad positions. And I can't imagine what Kyle could do in practice because he's not going to get the reps. I mean, depending on when the injury happened, if, you know, Tom Brady goes out there and tears his ACL the first practice preseason and then you have you know all the reps and the 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 dual practices against the Dolphins and the Tennessee Titans in three preseason games and you're really you know ramping up uh, and Kyle goes out there and just like shreds it but I don't think he's going to get the reps uh, and the opportunity to do that you would be preparing at that moment whenever that occurs like whatever moment if that were to occur practice or game you're going immediately to Blaine Gabbert and you're saying, we're preparing you to start against the Dallas Cowboys. You don't have time for tryouts, right? You don't have time to see, hey, this is an open competition. Let's see who wins. No, because somebody's got to play with the ones, right? Because you're not going to expose your offensive line and Mike Evans and all these guys. You're not going to play them three quarters, four quarters in a preseason game. They might be in there for, you know, first game, I don't know, quarter and a half. Second game has really become like the third game where you'll play the most or like the, what the third game used to be when there's only, when there were four. So you probably play them into the second half. And then by the last game, the third preseason game, you don't want to expose your starters to much at all. So even from a game rep situation, there's very few. And how do you judge Kyle Trask if he's, if he's in there um, with the number two offensive line, a bunch of rookie receivers, uh, or running backs, and he's going against, you know, the Dolphins' number three defense. I mean, how do you, how do you judge that? And so practice is a better barometer, but even then, like I said, you're trying to get one guy ready. It's it's all you can do to get one guy ready. I remember when Jameis Winston was suspended, or was going to be suspended for the first three games, but he was able to participate in training camp. And what they knew about Jameis Winston was, you're not here for the first three games. Even though you're the better quarterback and you're a franchise player and all of that, you've taken yourself out for the first three weeks. So you know what? You go to the back of the line. You're not getting the first-team reps. You're not going to be on the field in practice and training camp with the first-team offense or going against first-team defense most likely. And so they got Ryan Fitzpatrick prepared because they had to be ready to play the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans. And as it turns out, Patrick started great and ended up upsetting the Saints and then came home and beat the world champion Eagles. So, you know, a similar thing would happen would be, oh, my God, Brady's hurt. Who has the most experience? And 
you know, it might just be Bruce Arians, it might, you know, who who has more familiarity with Blaine. Like he tells me, he goes, look, the record's horrible. He goes, but I'm telling you, um, we we beat some pretty good teams with him in Arizona. I've had him. He's in, been in this offense now. He had a ton of coordinators coming into the league. Uh, Jacksonville was a bad program, obviously, but now he's 30, 33 years old, 34 years old, I think. Um, and, and for the few times that he's played for the Bucks, he's really, you know, he's played pretty well. I mean, he has an unbelievable arm. He keeps himself in tremendous shape. So while no one else is a Blaine Gabbert fan, and there's a ton of Kyle, Kyle Trask fans around this area of Florida, at least, um, I don't think there's any question that Gabbert would get that start in Dallas. Now, how long does that last? Completely on Blaine Gabbert. Because if this had been a year where Brady didn't come back, Gab- I know how this goes. I've covered this too many times with this with this football team. Probably the majority of the years that I've done this, it has gone like this with an old and a young quarterback. The veteran guy starts the season and you know, and it's bumpy because they don't have a good football team and he's not a good quarterback. Uh, and he gets banged around for about three weeks, maybe as much as a month. And then they go to the young guy and they say, you know what, we need a spark. We're going to have to make a change here. Let's, let's see what our young guy can do. And he goes out there and he might have a flash or two. Um, he may even win a game. Who knows? But ultimately, in short order, you discover that, uh, yeah, that's why the other guy was playing. And then you go back to your starter to try to salvage the season. Maybe we can still win eight or nine games here. And then he loses a couple more, and you go, you know what? We're not going to make the playoffs. It's we're we're past the bye week, or we're past the halfway point, and and you know we'd have to win like you know our remaining seven eight games. Not going to happen for us. Let's develop the young guy, and then the young guy takes it the rest of the way. That's probably how it would go. Um, so I don't want to say the season's over if Tom Brady gets hit hurt for 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 the if we're talking about. If he's out for the year, season's over. Um, you know, could Kyle Trask or somebody on a good football team come in here and win at a consistent enough level for them to make the postseason? I don't think so. I just, I don't think so. It's a good football team. It's, it, it's not going to be able to carry a, a, a quarterback um, who's never, who's never played. And, and that's not to diminish what what Trask is doing out there, or what I think of him in terms of the future, because, because I just don't know. And the, moreover, the Bucks don't know. They have no way to judge this guy except in practice, which is not the best proving ground, to be honest with you. You're not getting hit. You know, show me show me the full contact practice they've ever seen him in. They've seen him in some preseason games, and he's been okay, you know, against guys that don't make the rosters on other teams. So, yeah, it would definitely be Blaine, and then, you know, I think Kyle would end up playing at some point, but not, not in Dallas. All right, Ellis had tweeted. Says rank the likelihood of the following happening this season. Joe Tryon Shuinka records ten plus sacks. Russell Gage has six hundred plus receiving yards. Or Rashad White has five hundred receiving yards and five hundred rushing yards. All right, so let's review that. We got Joe Tryon with ten sacks, Russell mm-hmm. Gage with six hundred yards. Correct. And or- Rashad White with five hundred yards, both receiving and rushing. Huh. Um All right, I'm going to go Russell Gage with 600 yards receiving, number one, because I'm not sure what Chris Godwin, what is available. I, you know, according to my sources, the Bucks are very hopeful that 
you know, Chris Godwin will be ready for Dallas. Hopeful, right? You know, I'm hopeful that I finish this podcast without screwing up again. Uh, Gage is going to be probably wide receiver two in Dallas. If he's not, Chris Godwin's the comeback player of the year because I don't even know how he came back that fast. I mean, remember, he tore his ACL on December 20th. Like, the season was almost over. And that's a nine-month injury. And he had, AC, he had ACL and MCL damage. Now, no one works harder than Chris Godwin, and far be it for me to know how he heals and all of that. But I've watched guys come back from this injury, and the first thing you have to be is cleared to play football. Okay, football activities. To my knowledge, he's not gotten that one yet. So then once you are cleared for football activities, what does that mean? Well, now I'm on the field practicing. Okay, well, what are we going to do with him? How much are we going to practice this guy if he's coming off an ACL? Um, and then there's the mental hurdle, right? You go through you go through steps like, how is he cutting on that leg? You know, does he is he rounding off his routes? Is he what is he stemming it the right way? Like what what's the you know? Okay, and so that's just that's just the straight line cut route running stuff. Now we're going to put him in contact, right? Where guys are taking him to the ground and diving at his knees. And, and trying to get him on the ground. How does he handle that? You know, is he turtling? Is he, is he, is he looking for the defender over the middle where he got hit um, like he did against the Saints? So me personally, just, just the nature of that injury, uh, how devastating it can be, the, the sort of the mental hurdles you have to get over. Again, not minimizing Chris Godwin's toughness or or he will work as hard as anybody will to get back. I just find it hard to believe he's going to be ready week one. And I think I think Gage is here for a reason. And regardless, even if Gage isn't the wide receiver two, he's wide receiver three. And, you know, about 60% of the time, they're going to have three wide receivers, particularly now that they don't have Gronk. I mean, you got to make up for those catches somehow, right? So you used to go two tight ends at times. <clears throat> now you're going to go one tight end. Maybe you go four receivers. Gage is going to be on the field. He's a great route runner. He can play inside or outside. 600 yards to me is a lock for your number three receiver. It just, to me, it seems that way. Um, Joe Tryon with 10 sacks. 10 sacks is a, is a big mark. Uh, they said they expect that, and he's going to get the reps for that. He's going to play enough snaps if he stays healthy to where, you know, he'll be on the field to, to achieve it. Um, but 10 sacks in this league is is still a big number. And, you know, as far as White goes, I mean, 100 yards, 500 yards rushing and receiving, that's 250 each. I, I think that's pretty automatic. So, I mean, I would, just for the sake, not to not to disparage Joe, I'll go Russell Gage, 600 is, is, is a lock. I'll go ahead and take, I'm going to take White, number two, at 500 yards rushing and receiving, and then I'd go Joe Tryon, 10 sacks last. And Joe may get nine and a half, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but 10 is a big number, and it's his first year as a starter. So that's how I'd rank it. All right, Bob had tweeted. This is more of a comment than a question. But it says, all the voices were calling for Byron Leftwich to land a head coaching position. So one opens up in Tampa, but a former unsuccessful head coach is given the job. What an ironic contradiction. You know, and I get that. I, I read that comment, and I thought it was good for this this discussion. Is that um, you know a couple things happened there. Um, one, I would trust 
Jason Light's and especially Bruce Arians' assessment of if Bruce isn't the head coach, who, you know, who is that next guy, right? What's the what's what's the what's the ascension plan here? What, what are we doing? Um, or the succession plan, I should say. And on the one hand, you have what what could become one of the bright young coaches in this league, when and if he gets his chance. Now, it looked like he had the Jacksonville job. There were some things that I think Byron didn't like about it. Arians was convinced he was getting that job because I talked to Bruce. And I think the Trent Balky thing, you know, as a GM or lingering over there as a, as a big football presence wasn't a good thing for Byron. And I, and I credit Byron for recognizing that you know, it takes more than just a good quarterback or, you know, you're, you're, it's really, you know, good organizations win, right? It's got to start at the top and, you know, you've got to see eye to eye with the guy who's picking players. If you don't have that ability, if they're not giving you the personnel, if you can't buy the groceries, you better have a pretty good relationship and, or, you know, similar thoughts about football, uh, than the guy like, like someone like Balky. So, when that didn't happen, um, frankly, they were surprised that Byron wasn't hired somewhere. And the same was true with Todd to a degree. Um, but, but Todd's a proven commodity, okay? And let's play this out. When did Bruce Arians decide to retire? Well, he says, okay, and it's somewhat altruistic, that once Brady was coming back, once he knew Tom Brady was, was going to be the quarterback, um, that's when he said, you know what? This is the perfect time for me to go. Give it to one of my guys, in this case, Bowles, uh, because at least for this year, he's got a quarterback. If I if I bail now and Brady doesn't come back, it could be two two years of losing, and that's just going to add to Bowles' sort of misery index and his losing legacy or whatever. So I'm not helping my guy, you know, and I want I want our whole staff to stay together. I want continuity. I just think that if you're, if you're dealing with a Tom Brady that's trying to win a Super Bowl right now, I mean, Tom already works with Byron, and that wouldn't have been a problem. But that's an important job he has with Byron. You know, Byron running the offense is a, is a full-time job with Brady. Do you really want to take him away from that? And if you do, now who's working with Brady every day? Is Byron doing both? Is a first-time head coach and he's calling plays? You know, like, that's that's a bigger mouthful than you realize. And so... I think they they recognize that, you know, Todd learned from his situation in New York. The biggest thing was, you know, he didn't have a quarterback, uh, except I think the first year he won he won ten games with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh and it's a bad or it was a bad organization. He made mistakes and he said he did. Um one year to win it all with Brady. Uh a guy that definitely deserves another shot as a head coach that's, you know, in his late fifties versus a never been a head coach at any level, Byron Leftwich, uh, who's got his plate full with running the offense with Tom. So I I just think that, you know, you'd have been fine with either one, but one guy has a better resume and is and is ready now. And the other guy you're kind of saying, Yeah, you know what? I hope he develops into one of the bright young coaches. I hope he I hope he grows into the job, you know, and I don't think you have to worry about that with Bowles. So I understand, you know, 
we may look down the road and go, wow, they picked the wrong guy. And Leftwich leaves next year and goes somewhere and, and becomes one of the better head coaches, you know, in the league. Um, but I think for this moment and for this staff, which is going to stay together and the continuity that they want. And I've talked to, you know, I've talked to Leftwich about this too. It's like Byron's in a different position, having been an NFL quarterback and made a lot of money. He didn't have to come to coaching at all. He more or less got talked into it and got the bug when he went out to Arizona with, with uh, Arians a few times. And he's like, you know what, Rick, I, I, I don't, I'm not one of these guys that says I got to be a head coach by the time I'm 45 or 46 or 50. He goes, you know, I, I love my job now. Uh, I get to work with the greatest quarterback of all time. When it happens, if it's the right situation, it'll happen. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, push myself in there into a bad position because, and, and not for nothing, but we know what happens, especially with African American head coaches. And and if not for this plan, Bulls may never have gotten another chance to be a head coach. I mean, how many jobs has he interviewed for in the last three years? And it's you know very often when when if you're African American and you don't succeed, how many of them get second chances? There's not a lot of Tony Dungy's running around. Not a lot of Herm Edwards. You know, it's it's it's, it's actually the opposite. So. Uh, I think Byron was right to be selective. I think they thought he was going to go to Jacksonville. Um, but when that wasn't clear and then Tom came back, they looked at the overall situation and said, what's best for our football team? What's best for our organization? And the best thing is that you have a guy that's got head coaching experience that everybody knows and respects in the building that's still going to coach the defense but knows how to do both um, and can designate authority to his other assistants and not have to mess with the dynamic that is the offense with Brady and Leftwich combining because he needs those guys um, to continue the high level that they've had these last couple years. What gets defensive coaches, head coaches in the NFL, what buries them, and why, frankly, most teams won't hire them. They're always looking for the offensive guy, and this will happen to Todd Bowles most likely sooner than later. First of all, he's going to probably lose Brady, which will be you know maybe the death knell. Uh, but but failing that, if you're a defensive head coach and you're relying on a really good offensive coordinator to develop what is usually a young quarterback because you got hired by a team that's probably not winning and they had to go draft a guy, you have an offensive coordinator. Well, what happens when you have success? So you win. Let's say the Bucks win big next year and Brady has another great year, okay? Who's the number one guy that everybody's going to want to talk to to become the next head coach? Byron Leftwich. Okay. So you're constantly having to find new offensive coordinators as a defensive head coach. Well, as opposed to if you're an offensive head coach and you're the play caller, or maybe you do have an offensive coordinator, but you're still, you know, you're the big, it's your offense. You're the, you're the big voice in the room. If you lose an offensive coordinator, you can take it over or you can find the next guy, but you're still, you're still in that room. Um, so it's, it's, it's something that, that Bulls will probably have to deal with um, after this year. But I think for this year, this time, looking at that staff, Bulls, I think, was, was the obvious choice. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, we'll switch to the Rays, and Derek had emailed you. It's a little long question here, because I know everyone loves Kevin Cash, but he never gets criticized. He is having a bad year. There have been several games this year where he's put in the worst guys in the bullpen in high-leverage situations, and they lose the game. I know pitching overall has been outstanding, but not every guy has been good, and they're not interchangeable. Guys have had a 6-plus ERA and AAA pitching late in games or in extra innings. Batting a guy hitting 158 third in a game we need to win after just dropping the first two to one of the worst teams, meaning against the Reds. There was a series last month we got in all close games and a healthy Adam didn't even pitch. But he sends Adam in the ninth for a 10-5 game against Boston, guaranteeing he won't be available for one of the next two games against the Sox. Why do I feel like everyone is afraid to mention his obvious blunders this season? Well, I don't know who everyone is. I mean, if you're talking about John Romano, I'll go ahead and forward your letter to him um, because he writes columns for us. But, I mean, first of all, Kevin Cash is the back-to-back two-time American League uh, Manager of the Year, okay? And they don't just hand those out like candy on Halloween, all right? You have to earn that. And he has. Um, Arguably... He's done as good or better job than Joe Madden. And let's think about that for a minute. Okay. So he replaces a guy like Joe Madden. We know what the Rays' constraints are from a sour, from a you know a, a payroll situation, et cetera. And there are a major league leading sixteen players on the injured injured list right now. Sixteen. Including five everyday stars for them a year ago including over, you know, damn near 80 home runs with Brandon Lau and Mike Zanino missing from his lineup. If if there is a I think any manager will tell you this, the most difficult thing to do um is is to know when to take a pitcher out and who to put in. And a lot of that work is done well before they get to the ballpark, right? Cuz they have they have the the sabermetrics, they have the matchups, they have all the charts, all of that. So most of those pitching changes, you know, are based at, okay, who's, who's leading off this, this inning for the Red Sox, right? Like what, what are our best matchups in the bullpen that we have remaining? Um, and, and quite frankly, you're not going to bat a thousand, right? It's just, it's not going to happen. I was surprised the other night when Taylor Walls was hitting third. And I think he struck out four times in that game. Might have had a hit. I think got picked off or something, but. Um, you know, I saw Joe do this too. Uh, sometimes you just got to surprise, shock a guy into how much confidence you have in him. And, you know, walls has been scuffling. There's no secret about that. Madden used to like bad guys lead off that were scuffling. He's done it. He did it mm-hmm. with Evan Longoria, you know, and said, now go up there and be a leadoff guy. Well, what does that mean? Well, I want you to take, I want you to see a lot of pitches. I want you to make that guy work. I want you to, you know, uh, let us see what he has. You know, it's not just about you're a bat. It's about mm-hmm. with the lineup behind you. But in doing that, 
it was psychological. It was like, you know, you're not just going to go up there from the first pitch and start swinging from the heels and you're down 0-2. That's what happens when you're in a slump. So take some pitches, you know. Um, look for one you can drive. See what all he's got. Make him, make him throw everything he's got at you. And so, you know, Walls being in the third spot, yeah, that was a huge surprise for me. It was also, I think, an attempt because they were starting a left-hander. Mm-hmm. Walls is a switch hitter to go lefty-righty, lefty-righty, lefty-righty. Um, you know, so they couldn't get a beat on the lineup uh, if they did make pitching changes. So there's there's all kinds of, you know, I mean, I think, what was it? How many lineups did Kevin Cash have last year, Steve? Something like 150-something? Oh, it was at least, at least, yeah. I mean, they yeah. don't. And so, they don't run the same lineup out twice very often. No. And, and so, and again, you know, all of this is, you know, books and books of matchups and analytics and everything else. Um, they always say the computer spits out the lineup. Um, but no, no two lineups are the same with the Rays. And do they always work? No. But, I, you know, which you don't get letters like this when, you know, they make a change and some guy goes off or he comes up in a clutch situation and he gets the big hit. So, you know, I, I just think you have to look in baseball. We all want, I think, I think this is just the the nature of society. Like we live in a microwave society, so we want success. And we want it now, right? And it's hard for me because I cover football, so each week is one seventeenth of the season. You know, it's like ten games in baseball, and so then when I go and I cover the Rays, and they might get the crap knocked out of them, or every move that Kevin Cash makes doesn't work. You're like, oh my god! Like, who's someone's got to answer for this? You, know, you expect outrage, and you go in the clubhouse, and everyone's like, yeah, we'll get them tomorrow. Because the sports are so dramatically different. You know, they are out there; they are running a marathon, man. You cannot panic. You know, uh, if you stumble in mile mile four of of a twenty seven mile marathon or whatever twenty six mile whatever it is, so. It's it's easy to look at any one game or a couple games. You know, does is every? I mean, look, how long will they be talking about Blake Snell and and mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 taking him out of that game in the World Series, right? I mean, we've just, talked a lot about that. Yeah, you just live with those decisions. That's what you're paid to do is make those decisions, and those decisions oftentimes are already premeditated based again on matchups, and and you have to stay true to your formula. If that's the way you're going to manage throughout the year, if that's what your ball club is going to do uh, for it to work, you have to be consistent in those areas. So I just think a lot of it is, you know, it's just it's you got to step back and say, what have they done under Kevin Cash? Right. Went to a World Series. Um, damn near won it against a team that was way better. Uh, won 100 games, you know, like. I mean, he's back-to-back manager of the year. I'm willing back-to-back AL East season. champs. Yeah, Never been done before right, in this franchise. Think, the Yankees, the Red Sox, right? The Toronto Blue Jays who are ascending, all of them outspending them. I mean, I am not going to call for Kevin Cash's scalp because he has a bad day or a bad week, you know, or makes a bad pitching move or two. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, just to get to the next day, if if the guy who's available is one of your better relievers and he's got innings, maybe he has to pitch in a mop up role, you know, instead of saving him. Maybe there's not going to be a save this week situation. Like you've got to manage for 162 games, and and you sometimes find yourselves in positions where you'd rather not have to put your better guy in there. But you know what? He's the guy with the innings. 
So there's a lot of things that happen that, you know, in the micro, you're like, huh? Why don't anybody criticize this guy? Well, 16 guys on the disabled list. As we do this podcast, uh, they are or were um, the number one seed in the wild card. And, you know, if you look at the injuries, man, it's like, okay, let me take five position players out of the Yankees lineup. I can pick any five. How about five out of the Red Sox lineup? How about I take, I don't know, six or seven pitchers? I mean, do that across the across the American League and tell me what their records are. Not to mention what they're spending, right? For Aaron Judge and, and Stanton and guys like this. So it I, I just I can't rap on the guy. I know him too well. He knows he's outgunned. He doesn't make excuses for it. He gets these guys ready to play every day. You can give him whoever you give him, and he expects the same level of of, of competition and 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 you know, and wins. Quite frankly, and they've won you know forty seven and win forty seven fifty something games at the All Star break. So, I get it. I know it's frustrating at times, and this is not a great period with all these injuries to be a Rays fan. But they're still you know, look like they're going to make the playoffs. In fact, four teams in the American League East will probably make the playoffs. And you're going to tell me that going up against the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Blue Jays, whoever it is, uh, or or any other team from the American League uh, Central or any place else, you think that's going to scare these guys? You think they're going to be in, they're going to back down from an American League East team? No. They play them all the time. They play them 19 times a year. I promise you the Yankees don't want to play the, the, the Rays in the postseason. I promise you they don't. Or the Red Sox. And I know the Red Sox beat them a year ago, and the Rays were probably a better team, and they didn't want to see the Red Sox. So, you know, don't write them off yet. We're, we're, uh, we're not even to the All-Star break. All right, Kenneth had emailed you. Says, is Wander Franco just the latest in a, long, a, a short line of Rays players who get paid and locked up early and then get worse and fall off a cliff? Even when healthy, Wander was constantly getting himself out on tough pitches, and he can't seem to hit the ball out of the park with the new 2022 baseballs. His season reminded me of a mid-career long go, never making the adjustment on the slider away. Or Kevin Kiermaier or Brendan Lau rolling over 80 pitches in a row and grounding out to second every darn time. Does getting a relatively fat early contract from the Rays actually hurt your production? Is the real secret sauce of the Rays front office just playing time with a chance to get richer in arbitration or on the open market? God, I don't know where to start. That 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 is just wrong on so many levels. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay if you want to undervalue Wander Franco for me, okay? If you want to write him off now, you go ahead. It's at your own peril, pal. Watch baseball a long time, okay? Not everybody can be wrong. And we've seen enough to know he's a special talent. Does that guarantee him superstardom? Does that mean that locking him up was the dumbest thing in the world or the smartest thing you've ever done? We'll see, okay? He's barely into his first full major league season. Realize that. You know, he didn't play a full season a year ago. Um. And injuries are things that that happen. I think you've made the best point, Steve, about you know early in the career in the season his leg situations. There was you know a lockout, 
They couldn't monitor these guys. We don't know what he did uh, in terms of preparation, whether it was too much, not enough, the wrong things. But they got him back. You know, they gave him an extended leave for that to get his legs right. And when he came back, you could see it coming. I mean, his lineup, the lineup is totally different when he's in it. Just the energy he brings, the potential he brings, his contact, uh, his occasional power. Yeah, is he still adjusting as a major league hitter? Sure, because you know what? All he sees now is off speed. That's all he's ever going to see. No one wants to throw this guy fastball. He's too, he's too quick with his hands. He's, he's, you know, you can turn and burn on anything. And he's a switch hitter, and, and you can see how special he is as a player. So, first of all, it's very hard. You know, players have to play. You know, you got to be in the lineup every day, every day, every day, every day. You don't judge them one game to the next to the next. It's, it's over this, the course of a season. And this season will be remembered for Wander Franco as just being one of injury. You know, and guys do get hurt in this game. I mean, they just do in any professional sports. If it occurs every year... You're either injury prone, you get that label, or you're just unlucky as hell. Um, way too early to make that judgment yet, um, but yeah, you're going. Yeah, why? Why wouldn't you throw tough pitches? Why, why wouldn't he need to adjust to slider away, off speed? Um, you know, I've seen him make those adjustments. I, I, I think that he's done a good job of being patient. Of taking walks, of not swinging at bad pitches. Like, they know who to pitch around in this line. And by the way, who's protecting him, you know, when he is in there? There's no Brandon Lau. There's no power on this team, right? You got guys like Ramirez have come in and a good, done a good job and Isak Paredes of late. Um, but Wander hasn't been in there long enough to know, you know, what kind of season he would have had. So, wow, we're, we're picking on Wander Franco, He's played 128 career games. Yeah. Not a full it's season yet. Like, Rays fans, I get it, and I appreciate the letters that we do. We ask for them. We, we, we want the mailbag questions. And if, if I thought Wander Franco was a flameout and I was ready to declare him, like, a horrible deal for the Rays, I would have no problem telling you that. I think they're going to look back at this and Wander Franco's going to be the one that says, hmm, why did I sign such a long-term deal? That's what I think is going to happen. And you look at the salaries that guys are getting in the major leagues these days. I think this is the, the most team-friendly thing they could have possibly done. Did it change him? No. I don't, I don't know. He's not dogging it. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't see that. But let's wait until he gets back. Let's see if he can finish the year healthy. And, and, uh, and, and moreover, let's see what he does in a full season um, when he's healthy. But I... I don't think they're going to regret it. I I would be willing to bet Steve's mortgage that they won't regret it. No, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got uh, two questions on this topic, rooting for UF and less. says, should this be the year the Rays should be sellers at the trade deadline? No way they catch the Yankees, and they've been going in the wrong direction for the last month or so. You know, we talked about this the other day with Neil Solons. I, I think it's tough for anybody um, – you know, like, everyone's in it. And they're definitely in it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's going to be 20 teams that feel like they have a chance to make the playoffs. And then when you get there, I'm sorry, but when you get there, anyone can win. Mm-hmm. Really, literally anyone can win. And, and you know what wins 
most of the time in the postseason? Pitching. Pitching and defense. And what do they have in, in abundance? Pitching and defense. You know, they've got a hit. I mean, that's the thing that has gotten them the last couple of years is that some of their bigger players like Brandon Lau and some others haven't carried their water. Um, and I think it's tougher. You know, they are built for the regular season more than the postseason because then it's about the eight guys that you put out on the field every day and what they can do. And so if it's Aaron Judge against, you know, Isak Paredes, I'm taking Judge, right, in terms of production. But um, if you think you can make the playoffs, and they they have every reason to expect that because as we're doing this podcast, the, the number one wild card, I don't think you're a seller. What are you selling it for? Future draft picks? Well, here's, here's the thing. Prospects? The answer to the question is no, they're not going to be sellers. Right. And the reason is you're in a playoff position at this point, but who are you selling? You don't have a bunch of free agents. I mean, that's what you sell at the deadline is, okay, we're not going to be able to resign this guy next year. Let's go ahead and get rid of him because we're out of it. Does somebody want Kevin Kiermaier? Well, uh, well, he's hurt. I mean, assuming he I know, may but not if he's play, helped, yeah. like that's the kind of guy you would say. Sure. That would He's be, got one year left on his contract with a big deal. Does yep. somebody want him? Yeah. But, I mean, who are you going to trade? Brendan Lau? No. At the deadline? You'll get more for him in the offseason if you want to trade him. Sure. When he's healthy. You know, are you going to trade Randy Rosarena? I mean, no. that's your future. I mean, right. you're not going to trade your – you trade guys that are you're not going to be able to resign the next year. The Rays don't have guys like that. Now, right. are they going to be big buyers at the deadline? I, I question in the American League whether – any team will be a big buyer. I mean, the Yankees and Astros are running away with the top two seeds. So every other team that makes the playoffs has to play in a three-game series just to get to the division series. Right. Are you going to be a big buyer for that? No. Will you add a piece, a, a, a middle reliever, maybe a, 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 a some depth bat somewhere based on injuries and things? Sure. But are you going to give up top prospects? to get a shot at that three-game series before you even get the division series? No. I question that this year. Yeah. You know, if if the division was in reach for teams, maybe. I mean, is Boston going to do that? Is Toronto? I mean, you know, a year with, ago If we're not going to catch the Yankees, why would you mortgage a ton of your future for for a shot at that? And at least it's not a one-game series like it has been in the past for wild cards. But mm-hmm. I, I wonder – if the trade deadline is going to be less dramatic this year than others because of two teams in the American League running away. Now, the National League is a little different. But but there's 20 teams in the American League that think they can make the postseason. Mm-hmm. That too. You know, which, which one of them wants to declare themselves out of it to their fan base? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean – the Rays made a move last year. I think they, you know, they they were going to win on their way to winning a hundred games, and they needed a bat. Mm-hmm. And Nelson Cruz helped. He sure did, and he helped the younger guys like Wander Franco, who they brought up. Mm-hmm. So it made sense. And I don't know, you know, I, I'd have to look back at the trade to see what prospects they gave up. Joe Ryan, a uh, good pitcher, and yeah. there was one other prospect in there. But yeah, so you don't want to bankrupt. I mean, frankly. Most of their prospects are in the major are playing right now because so many guys are on the IL. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're using those guys every day. So yeah, I, you know, who are you trading? Vidal Bruhan? You want to trade Taylor Walls right now? I mean, he's your everyday shortstop. I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, it's very unlikely they would be they would be sellers because frankly, like I said, they're they're trying to get better. Um, 
And you don't get better by bankrupting your, your minor league system or, um, you know, panicking yourself into, into thinking that, you know, this one piece is going to, but that's the other thing too. Like what will one bat one pitcher do? Mm -hmm. You know, is it really going to change your fortunes when you get to against the Yankees in a, in a series? Or in that first, like you said, you got to win a three-game series against somebody. Is that going to be the difference for you? So, yeah, I, I don't I don't see him as sellers at all. All right, we'll end on this one. And Michael had tweeted us. He actually tweeted us last week, and we missed it on the mailbag. So we'll get to it now. He says, is it, is it okay for a newspaper beat writer to lift a championship trophy of the team they cover over their head and post a picture to social media? If you didn't no. see it, Mike Chambers of the Denver Post, after the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup, uh, posted a picture of him hoisting the Stanley Cup over his head with a cigar in his mouth, celebrating the championship. I would say no. I don't know Mike, so I, I mean, if you take this personally and somehow someone sends you this podcast, I apologize because I don't know you and I don't know the intent of the photo and maybe it wasn't supposed to go on social media. I have no idea. Um, but you're not part of the team. That's pretty obvious. Uh, and I think that is pounded India in journalism school. Um, you don't celebrate with them. Uh, you you haven't won anything. Now, generically, like, I thought about this because there was a time when, what was it? Uh, my kids were somewhere, and uh, it might have been a Lombardi trophy, uh, and I wasn't there with them, but I think my wife took them, and they got their picture taken with a Lombardi trophy, Right. And it wasn't my kids. Believe it or not, are not even football fans. They they love the Lightning. Would they get their picture taken with the Stanley Cup? Yeah, they might because it's a thrill for little kids, right? Like, wow, there's the cup. Just like they would take it to an elementary school, your class would get a picture with it, right? Um, but for a beat writer, for somebody that covers the team, to to be in some kind of a position where you're like, "Yo, we won," or "They won," or especially with a victory cigar like that. Yeah, no, no, count me out. You know, I don't want to be invited in the clubhouse and have them pour champagne in my head, although that happens sometimes when you're interviewing guys after a championship. Um, But celebrate, commemorate. uh, I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. I'm sorry, I don't get it. You're not, the one thing you learn usually pretty early on when you cover a professional team or a college team or whatever is like you are not part of them. There is them and then there is you. And and frankly, that's the way the relationship has to stay. You know, it just does. I mean, I don't know. It's a, it, I guess media is changing. Attitudes change, I suppose. I think that's part of the problem is, is that you know there are a lot of fan blogs, and 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 this seems like a legitimate. What was he with the De- was he with the Denver Post? Is that it? Yes. So I mean that that's his mainstream media. That's like the Tampa Bay Times. Um, but but there is a uh, and we've talked about this like with talk radio. Like when when Tom and I did talk radio, uh, you know we didn't go in there wearing raised jerseys and and I, there were times when they offered us stuff like that hey you want to get a raised jersey or a usf jersey and uh, put your name on it we're like no um but if you're a talk show host like the guys at dae now and uh 
the people calling and listening to you like you to root for their teams and pull for their teams, and it helps. Well, radio's overall. a little radio's different, and, and the reason is the radio stations a partner with the teams in many right. cases. Right, they they actually have their rights and yeah, they, 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 they do they, stuff. They have yeah. a business relationship with the teams. Right, we okay. try to keep that advertising side. Mm-hmm. That's the difference, really, between radio and, and, and print journalism. Is that in print journalism, we try to keep the advertising side away from the the editorial side. Meaning, mm-hmm. you know, we we still sell. We have a partnership with the Bucks too. We have a partnership with the Rays and the Lightning too. They buy ads and print ads in our paper, and we collect mm-hmm. money from them and everything else. But I, you're not going to see me in those ads, right? Because because we're on the editorial side. So we try. There's a sort of a, a deliberate separation of, of church and state, even though those ads are, I'm quite sure are paying for part of my salary. Um, but we don't, we don't promote things like that. So it's just different in print journalism. So yeah, I'm a little, I'm surprised by that. And I would say a little disappointed if that's, unless he intended this to be kind of a goofy photo for his family that no one was supposed to see and it somehow got on social no, media. He put, really it on social me- he put it on social media. He put it on social media. He put it on, yeah, no, can't do it. Sorry. Can't do it. Should get, deserves all the criticism in the world for it, in my opinion. All right, great questions today. I really enjoyed them. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast all week long. Our thanks to Matt Baker and Neil Solons and, um, you know, just all the guests that are able to come on and, uh, and be part of this uh, all week. So uh, we got the Rays are uh, hosting the Baltimore Orioles, the Red Hot Orioles, uh, over the weekend. So we'll be back on Monday to talk about that. Anything else that happens in the world of sports, we're just getting so close to the start of the National Football League season. Coming up July 27th, first practice, unbelievable. So... Keep it right here. For Steve Bursting, I'm Rick Stroud, the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.